Did you ever date a guy and then look back and realize that he was not nearly as attractive as you thought he was? <laughs> but when you were dating him, you thought he was the bee's freaking knees of hotness. Yeah, okay, here's, here's what I think. Especially when you were younger, you thought a guy was really attractive because he had, like, older mannerisms, you know? It's like, maybe, like, the JTT complex. It's like, he obviously was a very cute kid, but he also just, like, had some swagger. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I yeah. think that counted for a lot when you were younger. Like, confidence, because it was so rare. <laughs> guy. So when someone was confident, you were like, he must be cute. Why would he be so confident if he wasn't? So maybe I'm just not seeing things right. I dated a guy early on in college, let's yeah. say, who played basketball for the college that I went to for a little while and then went on to play internationally. Oh, yeah. And looking back, he was so not cute, but he had <laughs> swagger and he was hilarious. Oh, yeah. The funny thing will account for a lot, for Sense sure. of humor. Yeah, but you forget how funny someone was. So then you look back at the photos and you're like, was he that funny? I don't know. <laughs> was he funny enough? <laughs> Here's the thing about most guys, though, that isn't fair. And when we talk about marriage next week mm. and mm -hmm. uh, long-term relationships, yeah. we can talk about this. Men tend to get better looking with age. Oh, yeah, it's true. So, ladies, if you're having doubts about someone's <laughs> hotness in high school or college... Keep in mind that yep. chances are they're going to get better looking the older they get. Hi, and welcome to the 10th episode of The Morning Rage. I'm your host, Jen Prentice. And I'm your co-host, Lauren O'Keefe. And this is not your mom's morning show. It's a space where we pop off about all things culture, society, and politics in order to help you unpack your beliefs, feel more confident in sharing your voice, and today, talk about dating relationships and get the inside scoop on what it's like to be looking for love in your 20s from dating coach Ellie Erickson. This is going to be such a fun one. Jen, what do you remember about dating? It's been a while, yes? Yeah, I remember butterflies in my stomach. Oh, yes. And loads of self-doubt. <laughs> I remember first kisses Aww. and heartbreak. Mm -hmm. And like really it feeling like fun in theory, but for the <laughs> most part, it was excruciating. Yes, I remember a lot of those same things. So before we dive too far down that rabbit hole, shall we do some popping off? Girl, I would love to do some popping off. Well, you know in COVID where a day can feel like a year... <laughs> Oh, I do. Far too well. And one minute you can feel fine, mm -hmm. and the next minute you can feel like you are just emotionally spent and cannot go on. Yes, and you wonder, why? What's wrong with me? Why do I feel this way? There's a million reasons. Yes. <laughs> I have felt like that all week this week. Oh, man. And one of the things that I found particularly, might I say, triggering mm -hmm. has been social media. Yeah. And I've been watching people have these emotionally charged conversations around politics, specifically, mm -hmm. this week on social media. Mostly Facebook? 
No, I don't even go on there anymore, girl. Oh, man. It's more just people posting stuff on Instagram yeah. that either takes something that someone said out of context mm-hmm. or it's a headline from a news article. The media is just as guilty. It's not just people on social media. It's a headline from an article that is meant to be clickbait. Oh, absolutely. Or it's them sharing an opinion that is just meant to create an us versus them mentality. Mm -hmm. This emotional slugfest of one side versus the other. And honestly, very little of it is steeped in fact. Yes. I feel like social media, I was listening to a podcast, Pantsuit Politics is one of my favorite podcasts. I will link to this particular podcast episode in the show notes. They were talking about social media as kind of this hall of mirrors, Mm. which means that it's become a place where there's a real distortion of the truth. Yeah. And a place where competing realities exist, but those realities aren't likely true on either side particularly around political conversations. And I'm not even talking anymore about political conversations around the traditional like hot button issues like abortion or transgender rights or something. I'm talking about any political, even non-political topic. People are sharing information that is largely untrue Mm -hmm. Or at least, like I said, very steeped in emotion. And so my popping off this week is that I think we need to start taking the emotion out of our politics Mm -hmm. and our conversations around serious issues related to society, culture, politics. And we need to, as best as we can, because I do agree that right now we're living in an age where there's so much information. It is difficult to find what is actually factual, Mm -hmm. but we have become so emotionally attached to our identity around a particular issue that we are unable to do the research. Again, we're living, it's like we talked about last week with Tisha, where we start to live in our own echo chamber. Yeah. And we're living so deep into our echo chamber that we are only looking at opinions that support what we believe or the narrative that we want to put out into the world. And we don't put in the time to find the facts and to suss out our own opinions. Maybe it is hard to find actual factual research on a lot of issues, but we as a society are not taking the time to sit with the information, Mm -hmm. to look at both sides, to pray about where we should stand on an issue and to suss it out. We're grabbing things that align with our own emotional ideology or opinion. We're putting them out there and We are our own worst enemies right now. And we're creating enemies out of everyone around us who doesn't believe exactly what we believe. And I am so tired of it. Like we, how have we gotten to a place where we cannot agree to disagree on things? We've become so emotionally invested in politics, in our own viewpoints, in being right about something that we cannot disagree civilly on an issue and say, hey, I still love you. I'm not going to point a finger. I'm going to believe what I'm going to believe. 
I don't agree with where you stand on the issue, but I love you as a person and I know your heart. We've just lost that ability completely. And I have been so upset about this this week. Mm. One of the questions that people ask me actually a lot, and I'm not just saying that, like, you know when influencers (laughs) go on to Instagram? Yes, I do. And they're like, so I've gotten a lot of questions about my contouring. (laughs) (laughs) No one has ever said that to me, no. (laughs) I don't even know how to contour. (laughs) I'm not just saying this because I actually do get a lot of questions about, well, where do you find information that is unbiased? And it's very hard. I read the Wall Street Journal because they are one of the only newspapers that actually fact checks every story. That's why you don't see breaking news coming out of the Wall Street Journal a lot because they will hear breaking news, they will research, and then they will put out an article or there are opinion pieces in there. So take those opinion pieces with a grain of salt. But by and large, I have found them to be a really solid place to get factual information. I also read this one website and follow this woman. Her name's Jenna Lee. She has an Instagram account actually called Smart Her News. I do feel that the name is a little condescending to women. You know, yeah, I would agree. Smart Her News. So Jenna, maybe change the name. <laughs> but she does a really good job of just reporting the facts. She's a former reporter. She does a really good job of reporting the facts, laying out both sides, and then letting you draw your own conclusions on how you feel on the issue. Mm-hmm. I listen to Up First on NPR almost every day. And then I do read through Fox News and the National Review, which are traditionally more conservative media outlets. And I listen to the New York Times, The Daily pretty regularly as well. I will admit this is something that I have only started to do really in the last year. And you guys, it is emotionally and mentally taxing to do this work, but please, I am imploring you, before you put something out on social media, check your emotions, take your own biases out of it as much as you can, because we all approach an issue with our own implicit biases. I do, everyone does. But take your own biases out of it as much as possible. Research both sides of an issue. And honestly, maybe just stop sharing political stuff or really emotionally charged things on social media. This gets back to our conversation from a few weeks ago about why we need to have difficult conversations in person, face-to-face with people we love. Stop sharing all of that. Yeah, I feel like we are being sucked in to exactly what the media is hoping we'll do because like you said, these are clickbait articles with clickbait titles and the whole point is to get you all riled up. I mean, nothing riles someone up more than when they're disgusted by something and then we become reactionary and that is really what's happening right now is that we don't sit on an issue. We look at a clickbait article. We maybe don't even read the article, which is so scary, but most of us maybe don't. And then we're reactionary where we send it out right away. Or someone sees the post on someone's feed, they don't read the article. They're just reactionary, responding with emotion to that you know, headline. And you're right, what good are we doing? And I think we all need to sit back and think, what am I trying to achieve by putting this out into the world? Is this helpful in some way to someone? And we're not looking at that. And I think everyone is just in such a heightened state right now. There's just so much hostility. I don't know how we de-escalate the hostility on social media right now. 
I don't either other than taking a step back and stop being so reactionary on social media. I listened to another really great podcast this week about creating versus consuming on social media. And I'm not going to dive too far into that, but I will link to it. It's totally worth a listen. The podcast talked about whether we are acting in the image of God as creators and making the world more beautiful in the things that we do, in the ways that we interact with the world around us, including on social media. Are we putting things out there that are contributing to human flourishing versus consuming, reacting, and feeding the beast, basically? If you watched The Social Dilemma, where we're the product here, folks. We are the product Mm -hmm. on social media. And I think I've come to a real place, and I even think with everything we're doing with The Morning Rage, that we've come to a place where it's like, we may never get that swipe up. It's true. But if you are truly committed to creating consistent quality work and being very intentional Mm -hmm. with what you're putting out into the world, then that's way more important than achieving a certain level of success or even being right or sharing your opinion and having your narrative and your emotions and your feelings be out in the world. Yes. And I think that just goes to show how much we're investing in our online lives because we have become so emotional about it. We have become so attached. And if we start investing in our real lives, the real human ones that we actually live in this world, then it will become more detached from it. It won't play as big of a role in our lives and we won't care as much when someone says something bad to us or we see something on Instagram. So we need to stop living in our screens because I think we're getting lost in there in a real bad way and we're not going to be able to function as real human people if we keep doing that. Speaking of getting really invested Uh in our screens and (laughs) social media. Yes. Lauren, I believe that your popping off this week is along those lines, correct? Oh, yes. Talk about Hall of Mirrors, right? Oh. Okay. I showed you this app, Jen, that I found. I don't fancy myself up on all of these things, so I may be coming late to the game, but it is shocking nonetheless. I was looking for a new selfie stand for our Bachelor Recaps, shameless plug, that we do every Tuesday. On YouTube. <laughs> on at YouTube. the Morning Rage. Yes. Check it out. So there was this app that was like associated with the selfie stand and it's called Camera 360. Okay, so there's also one called Facetune. This came out in like 2013. It was the most popular paid app of 2017. And since then there's just so many more apps that have come out that you can manipulate pretty much any part of your face and body in photos you've already taken You can take the selfies in the app. And I think I was just shocked at the quality level because, whoa, it looked real. You could tweak the smallest perceivable, you know, in your own mind flaws from your crow's feet to how far apart your eyeballs are to like, you know how you have one eyebrow that's always slightly higher than the other one? Oh, no, no, you can fix that. Don't you worry. All you need is this app. So I was playing around on it, and I think I was just so frightened, but I was so fascinated by it. And all I could think was, is anything real anymore? 
No, it's not. And you and I played around with this. Oh, yes. Earlier this week. I knew about these apps. I'd never played around with one. I actually would argue that whatever image of myself I created did not look real. (laughs) (laughs) It was a huge distortion. You've gone too far. (laughs) Way too far. (laughs) I'm glad I didn't have social media in general in my 20s. -hmm. It just wasn't a thing. Too old. I'm so glad that these apps weren't a thing in my 20s. I did struggle with an eating disorder in my early 20s. I, one, would have definitely used these apps obsessively to make myself look different. And two, I would have looked at these other women Mm -hmm. on social media, these influencers who, yes, you're right, Lauren, who is projecting a real image of themselves? Yeah. Most of these influencers are using these apps. But not even just influencers. Like everyday people are using these apps. We all knew celebrities on the cover of magazines were photoshopped. We all know this. We know this. We know this. But in the real world of social media with people you know, we are not even on a level playing field if that's what people would like to think of it as. When you're comparing yourself with people on the socials, like none of it is real life. We need to stop looking at it as real life. We cannot live these lives like we were saying in our phones and then base our whole self-worth on what we're seeing on there. When you talk about social media as one thing, then you talk about dating apps. Oh, dear God. I mean, talk about something I'm thankful for is that I didn't live in a generation where we were on dating apps all the time. But then we get into this other conversation about when is it enough? Like, when do you ever stop the tweaking of your face to look differently? to stop swiping. It's just limitless. And I think that is so maddening. And we just all need to look ourselves in the mirror, tell ourselves that we're perfect exactly as we are. And we need to go on living a real human life in person with other people. Is that possible? I hope so. So today we are going to summon the days of your and yesteryear (laughs) for me and Lauren. That's true. And talk to our 20-something selves about what we wish we'd known about dating and relationship. I was thinking about this and I think enjoying the phase of life that I was in, because 20s are like, I know they're hard and they stretch you. You're going from college into the real world and you're trying to figure all of it out, but they're so freeing and to just really enjoy it instead of being worried about getting to the next phase. It's like when you're single, you're like, when am I gonna meet someone? And then when you're dating, you're like, is this the guy I'm gonna marry? You know, even in your career, you wanted to get to the next phase, being worried about money. And you know what? When you're in your 20s and you don't have a lot of money, it means you also don't have a lot of responsibility. It's like, uh, mo money, mo problems. Oh, for sure. So this is like our top five, right? We're each gonna share our top five things Mm -hmm. that we wish we had known in our 20s about dating and relationships. I love that, Lauren. I wish that I too had truly enjoyed the phase of life that I was in when I was in my 20s. I think to tack onto that, because you mentioned career, mm-hmm. I would also say to build your career over anything else, including your romantic relationships. I spent a lot of time thinking that I was just gonna get married and then my life would start Mm -hmm. and I would figure out whatever it was that I was gonna do based around what my future significant other was gonna do. And so I didn't truly 
dive into where I wanted to be five years, 10 years down the road and work to build that and build a future towards that because I was just sitting around trying to figure out who I was going to build that future with. And I think that's coming from having our parents as our examples the generation above us as our parents they got married out of college had families younger and we just kind of assumed some of the same things for ourselves which is obviously changing now but i think that was easy for a lot of us once we got out of college to be like looking for the guy absolutely yeah in my 30s i now have a greater sense of what i want to do as far as my career but it's harder for me now because I am married and I do have two kids. So if I had worked towards building that career Mm -hmm. in my 20s and really spent time thinking about where I wanted to be five, 10 years in the future and building on that, rather than thinking about and obsessing over, not just thinking about like truly obsessing over (laughs) who I wanted to be Mm -hmm. with and who I was gonna be with, I would be so much further along in my career. Yeah, I can understand that. Kind of along those lines, I just kind of feel like no one in their 20s should be worried about being alone forever. And I think that is something that can feel paralyzing if you are single and in your 20s. Even if you are working towards a career, you're probably always worried, like, should I be looking for the guy? And like, what if I never find someone? I mean, you can be intentional about dating, but don't torture yourself over that notion that you'll never find anyone. For the most part, you do get to a different stage of life. Maybe it's not always the one you thought it would be, but there's new things there and also new things to worry about. And I think every time we get to that next level, we're worried about the next thing. So just soak it up, enjoy it. I get super annoyed with a lot of the things that the girls on The Bachelor say. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I get annoyed with is when one of the girls on The Bachelor in her early 20s, she's like 23 and she's like, I just think I'm unlovable and I'm going to be alone forever. Oh, Honey. Like riding away in the limo on their way home. And they're like, no one's ever going to love me. And they're so sad. And you just want to be like, girl, you've got so much time. <laughs> it's all going to be okay. And again, we're not saying that it definitely means you're going to find someone. Because we know plenty of women in their 30s and their 40s who are still not married and would love to be. So there are just no guarantees. No, of in course. Life. And I think worrying about it is not helping you in any way. Absolutely. It's not helping you get to another place. Just sitting around torturing yourself isn't finding the guy. So just don't worry about it so much. You don't put so much pressure on yourself or the people you're dating. Then it could just naturally happen. And in the meantime, Do all the other fun things. Absolutely. Speaking of not worrying Mm -hmm. so much, (laughs) I would like to say that in my 20s, when I was dating, I wish that I had not worried so much about what other people thought of me in general, but especially about what the guy that I was dating in my 20s was thinking about me. Mm -hmm. I wish that I had been more confident in who I was and realized that that confidence in turn would make the person I was dating or if I wasn't in a relationship, that confidence would just make other people be more attracted to me Mm -hmm. in general. Oh yeah, I totally agree with that. Confidence is sexy. Yeah. Also learning who you truly are and what you need and that builds that confidence 
too. Like, what do you want in life, in a career? What do you want in a partner? Like actually thinking about it. Maybe not even what you want, but what you need, which is much more important. We can be attracted to all the wrong people for all the wrong reasons. So don't always trust your wants. I just think if you cultivate early on the things that are important to you, so when you are making big decisions, they align with the life you want for yourself. Ooh, that's good. I would also say, Stop looking at every guy you go out on a date with as a potential spouse and stop trying to mold them or mold yourself into a person who you think they want you to be or stop trying to mold that person that you're on a date with into the person who you want to be with. Mm -hmm. I know, especially in Christian culture. Yeah that there is a sense of, think of every date as a potential mate. Do you remember that? Oh, yes. I also read Kiss Dating Goodbye. Josh Harris has retracted (laughs) everything he said in that book. Do not kiss dating goodbye, guys. Don't do it. It's It's fun, I promise. Dating is fun. I literally would go out on blind dates. Oh, oof, weird. Blind dates are weird. Blind dates are weird. Yeah. But I would go out on a blind date and be sitting there thinking about, okay, so will this guy make a good father one Ooh, day? You're like checking things off your list. Just be present. Live yeah. in the moment. Yeah. Show them who you are. Try to pull out and engage with who they are and just enjoy yourself because you're wasting a night of your life. You might as well enjoy it, even if it doesn't lead anywhere. Absolutely. <laughs> Don't enjoy it too much, obviously, is what we're saying. <laughs> Yes, we are still, I would say, true love waits a Jace. <laughs> so don't enjoy the date too much. Exactly. But Nothing good ever happens after midnight. That's what mom always said. And really does it? It's actually true, it, no. It always goes downhill somehow. Like anything, you're just like, I should have left an hour ago and it was fun. <laughs> like a serious conversation with your spouse. The doesn't, later it gets. Doesn't go, get any better. No, just, you're not solving any problems. Everything after devolves after midnight. Yeah, I agree. I have actually a couple things that I would recommend from my own experience. Can I do that, Jen? I know I'm deviating from the rules, and you know how much of a rule follower I am. Lauren is an Enneagram one and a level one sommelier. Oh, 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 how did you fit that one in here? So good. (laughs) Okay, so these are two things that I didn't really learn until I was... Well, this first one, it was not until I was forced to, but I'm really glad I was forced to. So I had moved to New York without really knowing anyone. And eventually I lived by myself after college. And I spent a lot of time by myself. And here's the thing. It can feel really uncomfortable to be by yourself. It can feel a little bit like a a social faux pas to just be taking yourself out to the movies or to be eating alone. You're like, do I need a book? Like, what do I do while I'm sitting here by myself? What are people gonna think about me just sitting here by myself? Table for one, please. You know, all of that makes you feel a little uncomfortable about it. But instead of just sitting at home by myself because I didn't have anyone to do things with, I would take myself out and I would go to museums by myself, which is to this day one of my absolute favorite things to do alone is to go to a museum by myself. I would go out to eat by myself. I would go to the movies by myself. And honestly, once I got used to it and comfortable with who I was and what I like to do, and like you just understand yourself when there's no social pressures, no one's like, oh, I'd rather do this or I'd rather do that. You actually just do exactly what you wanna do. And how would you ever know what you liked? 
How would you ever know that you enjoyed going to the museum on a Tuesday at 2 p.m.? So I just think those experiences of being alone builds your confidence. It also builds your independence. And it makes you not as dependent on another person for your own happiness. And I think that's all very attractive. If you can be by yourself, you're not so worried or anxious if someone isn't around all the time, maybe a partner or friends or family, you know? I really like what you said about understanding how to be comfortable being alone, first Mm -hmm. of all. Because even once you're married or in a long-term relationship, there are going to be times whether because your partner is physically not there or because you feel emotionally distant, that you are going to have to understand what makes you happy Mm -hmm. and how to be alone with yourself and be happy and feel fulfilled and find joy in that. Yeah, I agree. So I really, really love that. But I think that that also speaks to having experiences on your own too. Yes. And I think in terms of experiences, I am really, really thankful now that in my 20s, I did take advantage of the idea that I was kind of free to make big, crazy decisions. Like I studied abroad in school even though I was slightly terrified to go to a foreign country with nobody I knew. And I moved to New York without knowing anyone. And I think even like taking a trip you can barely afford. I know that sounds like bad advice, but do it in your 20s (laughs) because money comes and goes for one thing. And also this is like the time you're the most free to make these decisions on your own. You just likely won't be in a place later in life to say yes so easily to new things or to big changes. So choose the adventure, even if you're scared, say yes to whatever big opportunities come your way. Yeah, people probably don't know that you and I had very different experiences in our 20s where you did study abroad, you did move to New York City, you did travel a lot, and I was on the flip side where I did not do those things. I was in a very serious relationship and when he broke up with me, I moved about 30 minutes away from where I was living at the time and just kind of stayed in Raleigh, North Carolina. I was never brave enough to study abroad. I always wanted to move to New York City. I didn't do that. And honestly, I don't have too many regrets in my 30s, but those two things, I always tell my students, I regret not studying abroad in college and I regret not moving to a big city. I would have liked to have moved to New York City, but to a big city, to truly experience what it was like to be on my own and to have those kind of big adventures. Yeah, and I think what I always try to tell people is when you do something like that, when you decide to move to a big city, you have no idea what you're going to do or where you're going to live or any of those things, you can always move back home. Most of us are very, very blessed and lucky that we can always take it back. We can always move back home, but you'll never regret just taking the leap and at least just trying it. And even if, like, I didn't stay there forever. I was there for maybe five years. But I'm really glad that I did it. I think that helps people maybe get over the fears, is that this isn't a permanent thing. You can always say, hey, it didn't work out. Doesn't mean you failed by any means. And then do something different. You can always pivot. You can always pivot. I like that. Because I do want to recognize that not everyone can move back home. They maybe don't have a good stable home life or a good relationship with their parents, or maybe they just don't want to, but you can always 
pivot. You can move to a place that's less expensive. Yes. You can take a new job somewhere yeah. else. And one of the things that I feel like I did do well in my 20s, I was really struggling from about 18 to 24 mm -hmm. with an eating disorder. Yeah. And I had a lot of shame around oh. my relationships, mm. not just romantic relationships, but also friendships. And some of the things that I did in my 20s, in those relationships, friendships and romantic relationships. And I moved to California when I was 24 because my husband and I had started dating and he lived in California. And I just picked up and I moved across the country. Yeah, yeah that's, I mean, so that's, that's big. And that clean slate mm. was what really allowed me to put away and put to rest some of that shame Ooh, that yeah. I felt over past relationships mm. or things that I looked at as failures. Mm. So I would really encourage anyone, whether you feel a certain sense of failure or shame or disappointment in your life, in your 20s, over relationships, friendships, jobs, family, whatever it is, you can always pivot. I really like that. I think the idea that you can move to somewhere new, we shouldn't obviously use this or take it for granted, but you could always move somewhere and you can say, no, this is who I am. Without all of the ties to who you were, what people expected you to be, or what people grew up knowing you as, because we all change. I mean, I feel like I wasn't really fully myself until like, around 25, 26, like I, I settled maybe more into myself in my late 20s. And you change and you need that room sometimes to be able to say, no, no, this is who I am and these are the people I choose to surround myself with. And that doesn't mean you say goodbye to your old life, but I just think that concept of showing up in a new environment and saying, this is who I choose to be now is very powerful. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think another great way to look at it, say you just can't move. For whatever reason, yeah. you just can't move. One thing that I also try to tell the 20-somethings who I mentor is you don't have to be the person you were yesterday, mm. today. Absolutely. That I mean, what a freeing concept. But it's just a shift in your perspective. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. So we are obviously not in our 20s anymore. Oh, Jen, really? <laughs> it's something that I, I, I think mentally I'm about 25. Oh, I love this. I love this. I think I'm mentally 28. Mm. I think 28 was like where I kind of stopped maybe. Yeah, I'm mentally 25 and I would like to forever stay mentally 25. Mm. And I think you kind of do. Do you I know what I mean? Know. I wonder like would our parents say that they... I would be interested to ask... Yeah, say our parents, what age mentally, like if they were to say, this is how old I feel, or like in my in my mind, maybe not in my body, but how old do I feel? That would be really interesting to me. Hmm. Future podcast, maybe we have our moms on. Oh, that would be so fantastic. Deb and <gasps> Sherry. Maybe a little Mother's Day pod. How fun. That's really sweet. That would be cute. So we're not in our 20s anymore, but... <laughs> We did get the opportunity to talk with Ellie Erickson, who is in her 20s, and she is a dating and relationship coach. She's actually one of my former students. I have known Ellie for years. I have seen her grow and evolve and change and pivot mm -hmm. into someone who is very confident in her career, in her personal life, and it was really fun to talk to Ellie. So she is gonna share what she sees as some of the biggest issues in dating in your 20s and how to work through those 
and how to work through issues within yourself in order to find a better future partner and to be a better future partner. So this is our conversation with Ellie Erickson. You guys, you all loved our last interview with my sister-in-law, Tisha Hadra, and we liked interviewing people so much that we have a second interview for you this week. And since we are talking about relationships this whole month, we thought we would bring on someone who actually coaches people on relationships for her full-time job. Ellie, we are so excited to have you here today. Can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yes. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I just want to get that out of the way and say thank you. Obviously, I adore both of you and love your podcast, so it's really an honor to be here. But What I do is I'm a dating relationship coach. So I work with women primarily um, who would like to get into a really awesome relationship. First, obviously, get them confident and get them feeling empowered and not just their dating life, but like life in general, because that's when the magic starts to happen. And so we work on that for like six weeks. And then for the other six weeks that I work with them, it's a 12 week program just help them get to this place and then get into relationships with partners who are so amazing and so caring and so loving because too often I find that people don't have that and relationships have been found to be one of the greatest predictors of happiness in life. So that's a little bit about me and what I do. Well, I know that you base your kind of curriculum around a book called attached, or that's one of the things that you talk about people's different attachment styles. So can you kind of tell people a little bit more about that? Just so they have a better idea of, you know, even if you don't hire Ellie for a relationship (laughs) as a relationship coach, this book and the way you talk about attachment styles, I think is super beneficial for anyone who is looking for love right now. Oh my gosh. So I am so passionate about, about the book attached. I send it to all of my clients. So the main three attachment styles, there's secure, avoidant, and anxious. 50% of the population is secure, 25% avoidant, 25% anxious. And what ends up happening is if you have an avoidant or anxious attachment style, you sometimes like get so used to your attachment system being activated that you mistake that feeling for love those butterflies that sometimes people talk about can really be unhealthy. And when you get with someone who's amazing, who's secure, sometimes you don't feel that and you get bored. And then you say something like, oh, they're not the one or, you know, there's something missing. And so that's something I work so hard on with people. I think understanding the ways that we process relationships and interact in relationships and what our attachment style is, is incredibly important in helping us have fulfilling, successful, healthy relationships. And I feel like 2020 was a year where all of our anxieties went <laughs> through the roof. I'm wondering if that anxiousness that we all felt in 2020, have you seen that translate to the dating world? What are women in their 20s going through right now? What's dating like in 2021? Maybe not so much COVID dating, but sort of dating in general. What's that like right now? Either they 
think they can do it on their own and like or right now because of 2021 they're like I'm not even gonna try like I don't even want like it's not the time for me like I'm not even gonna put myself out there I'm not even gonna go on the app I don't want to talk to anyone or it's this other side of like oh my gosh I'm so by myself I'm so alone right now like I need someone like I really want to be with a partner so it's like these two opposite sides that I'm seeing of like one hand people are totally turned off to dating and relationships and the other people are like so hyper focused on it Yeah, I would imagine it's like somewhat paralyzing right now (laughs) with everything going on. Obviously, it's been a while since I was dating in my 20s and we didn't have the technology that people have nowadays. So there are so many apps. There's so many different ways to meet people all digitally, which I think (laughs) can feel a little overwhelming probably to folks. Do you think 20-somethings are in general taking dating as seriously as maybe we did in our 20s? Even though we have all the apps, I still hear from a lot of the women that I work with, there's no good people out there. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's no one out there. There's no one, there's no one there. And it's, it's cooler right now to focus on your career in your early to mid 20s. If you, if you tell someone that you are focusing on your relationship, that's not the socially acceptable thing to do right now. Like after mm-hmm. college, like in college, you know, you're talking about, oh, your next career. You're not talking yeah. about like, the type of partner I want to be with. And so I think that, you know, we want to have this career, but then you, if you want to have kids, like not that you can't have kids obviously late into your thirties, but there is stuff you need to think about. And I don't think people think about relationships early enough right now. Yeah. Until they get to a place where they're like spiraling a little, they're like, don't need to worry about it. Don't need to worry about it. Focus on the career. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. And that's like the worst time to do it because you're going to settle for anyone. Yeah. You're going to settle for that person who's just the worst. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably, I mean, it's, it's hard to do two things simultaneously, but I guess you have to, I, in my opinion, it's like determine, are you focusing on the career? Cause it seems easier than having to say right. you seriously want to find someone because it's scary to like actually look, it'd be great if it oh, just yeah. like happened to you, but that's not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, no it, it's not. And like, I think that in our like society and our culture, like the movies, we kind of oversimplify it a little bit. And so that's what's troubling because people just are like, oh, it'll happen when it's supposed to, or like all these things. And then you end up with someone just randomly who isn't great. And you're just like there. And then you just stay. There's so much better for you if you knew that that existed. You're just like prone to settle maybe at that point. Yes. Well, what are some of the common dating issues besides COVID that (laughs) you think people are dealing with right now? You know, is it that people are waiting so late to settle down and then panicking or what are some of these common dating issues that you're seeing? People are so scared to voice their needs that they won't do it. And so then they get to a point where they're a year in with someone and finally feel comfortable doing that and realize that the person they're with could not care less. Mm. And that's the worst thing because if you would have, this is my pro tip right here. If you in the beginning could have just said like, you voiced your needs, even on something as minor as like, Hey, can you send me a text? Like, I really like when someone texts me back within the day and see how they respond. Like you would have been so much better off. So I think just a common issue I've seen is people wait so long that they 
will settle for anything and are too scared to scare someone off that they just let behavior fly that they shouldn't. Yeah. Like being too accommodating. And then you've invested so much time in the relationship and then it gets only harder to feel like you're starting over by leaving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the things, maybe like the top three things that people should be looking for in a future partner? You know, I think communication is something that I value and I know Lauren values and as they're dating, even what are some things that people should be looking for in a future partner? Yeah. So I'd say like, I'm going to go from number three and work my day way down to like my number one thing that you should be looking for. Number three would be anything that really matters a lot to you. For me, maybe that's a sense of humor because I really love to have fun with someone. And because like, I think this should be on everybody's list in some capacity, but like having fun is so important because there's going to be times in life that are super challenging. And if you're able to just like laugh through it or like find some sort of humor in any situation, then it's just going to be so much more fun. Number two, I'd say is someone who's hardworking and good with follow through. So I think the hardworking part is important just because if someone's hardworking at their job, if someone's hardworking, if they're on a sports team, if someone's hardworking at the gym, like if people give their all to something, then they're going to give their all to a relationship more often than not. And of course you have to like walk that line between Oh, are they a workaholic? Are they just prioritizing that over me? Like they have to be balanced in that way. But somebody who clearly shows up in every area of their life. And then my number one thing I would say, how they respond when you voice your needs, which is kind of what we were just talking about. So somebody who genuinely cares when you're talking to them about things that you need. I think as like a society, we we downplay needs and act like people shouldn't have them, that's never going to work. So if somebody responds positively to yours, that is like so good because in life, there's going to be so many times where you have to adapt and voice these things. And so that's my number one, just always, always look for that. Yes. We are a big advocate of that. That's like one of the reasons (laughs) we started this podcast is like, we need to not stuff those feelings down and feel like we need to just not have needs like that. Uh, I don't, I don't need anything. I'm perfectly content. <laughs> Everything's oh fine. Everything's no. fine. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's, yeah. that's really good advice for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Ellie. We so appreciate you being here. Tell everyone where they can find you. Yes. So if you want to find me on Instagram, I'm at Ellie Erickson. And then if you like want to know more I have my website ellieerickson.co you can check out but yeah anywhere just hit me up slide into my dms I'd be so happy to talk to you about anything and sliding into those dms isn't that what all the kids are doing these days all the kids are doing I wish I had you when I was 20 but (laughs) yeah well I'm always here for anybody and any support just loving and kindness I'm sending your way oh thank you same back to you I like that what Ellie said mirrored some of the things that we said earlier. And also, I wish I had had a dating hype girl in my 20s, like Ellie. Me too. To be able to talk through like all of the dating gaffes and the insecurities and the things that happen besides your friends, which sometimes you don't want to share things (laughs) because it's embarrassing. And she would just like build you up and tell you to take some time for yourself and really put in the work. Or to go be flirt. Better. Go oh, flirt. She teaches you how to flirt. Are I you kidding? That. We could have all used that. <laughs> <laughs>
I think instead of our typical hot stuff yeah. to end the podcast, we should talk about our worst dating experiences, Lauren. Oh, man. Okay, Jen. What was one of your worst dating experiences? My worst blind date. It was a blind date, so you know it's going to be bad. Did you know what they looked like before you got there? No. We met at a friend's apartment who had mutually introduced us, and then we went out on a date. You met at a coffee shop, and he had like a rose, like a single white rose. like A you've got mail scenario. Mm -hmm. No, it wasn't that. No, it was not that. Okay. One of my friends was like, hey, you should really meet this guy who I'm friends with and why don't you guys both come over to my apartment and then you can go out on a date. He literally walks in the front door of her apartment and looks like a deer caught in the headlights. (laughs) No. And I thought, this is not going to go well. Were you excited for this date? Were you nervous? I was all the things. I was 22. Okay. So I was all the things. He walks in. He looks like a deer caught in the headlights. We have some casual convo. And literally, that was it. We went on the date, just the two of us. I don't think he said five words. <gasps> Were you trying to pull things out of him? I And I'm, <laughs> if you know me, I can talk to a brick wall. And that's what this date was like. <laughs> oh, no. It was like talking to a brick wall. He, come to find out, had literally the week before just gotten out of like a five-year relationship <gasps> Where the girl had cheated on oh him. Oh my gosh. What friend set you up with this person? We're still friends. I'm not going to talk about did you it. Know, did you know ahead of t- You didn't know this ahead of time? She said that he had just broken up with someone. Yeah, but and you, you didn't know, think it was a big five-year relationship. That's huge. So you found out this after the date? Or did he start maybe. like sobbing in his like marinara sauce like halfway through? <laughs> If you're going to sob, it isn't marinara sauce, for sure. (laughs) So that was my worst blind date experience. What about you? Okay, so I was actually dating this person in high school. He was notoriously cheap, but like incredibly creative and resourceful. So I was never mad. I was just impressed with how creative and resourceful he was. It's a real Ron Burgundy situation. It really was. Yeah, but like all of the dates were all very creative, but they were all like free. But it was fun because they they were always very thoughtful and interesting. As an example, we would go to the Red Robin. Did you have Red Robins? Yeah, girl. Okay. So we get some, you know, chicken fingies. And then he would order just a water, like an iced water with like a side of lemons. And he would proceed to make lemonade at the table with his lemons and the sugar packets that were sitting on the table, right? And I would think, you know, as a rule follower, I maybe don't love this, but it's not really breaking a rule. So like, I'm okay with it. And also like, interesting. A date night activity. Exactly. Let's see if we can make... Literal. Yeah, it was like a DIY at the table. (laughs) (laughs) Lemonade out of lemons. (laughs) Yes. So this is kind of just his vibe. So we went out to the movies once. We pick out our seats. He goes out, comes back with a bucket of popcorn. And I'm talking him like the big bucket, you know, which would be in our day and age if people still went to the movies, like $15. You know what I mean? It's expensive at the concessions. So I was kind of shocked by this like the fact that he came back with the big bucket that he would have splurged on the big bucket of popcorn i was just like okay well maybe like i'm really special (laughs) he thought i'm gonna really show her a good time and get her the big bucket of popcorn so we're sitting there with the big bucket of popcorn through the movie and you know i'm having some at some point in the movie he turns to me because he can't 
like holding it anymore, I guess. And he tells me, do you know where I got the bucket of popcorn? And like a shiver runs down my spine. And I think, oh no, where'd you get the bucket of popcorn? <laughs> he had grabbed it out of the trash and taken it back to concessions because when you spend that much money on a bucket of popcorn, they refill it for free. Stop. Yes, I was eating trash popcorn. <laughs> I have nothing to add to this. This is amazing in every way. Also, I would like to say that kudos to this guy for being so resourceful in high school. Oh, yeah. You know, he was he was a genius somehow that he could he just like could navigate this whole thing without spending very much money. And it was impressive until I was eating trash popcorn. And then that's where I drew the line. My worst long term relationship dating experience mm-hmm. was circa uh, 2007. OK, I dated a guy for three or four months in grad school who I met at church. He took me home to meet his parents. This was in the fall. He lived in the mountains of North Carolina. So I want you to picture a real Taylor Swift in the era of Jake Gyllenhaal vibe. Oh, wow. You know how I have lots of feelings about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When they were walking through leaves, all bundled up, drinking Starbucks. We start talking about the future while we're there. Oh, wow. I'm getting my master's degree. He's in law school. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He's How planning. How old are you? 23. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Big, big times, big decisions. Lots, big. Lots happening. Yeah. Okay. Big life energy. Big life energy in 23. Right. <laughs> so we start talking about the future. He's in law school. He's planning to go to work for the Marines because he was in the Marines. Oh, yeah. He's planning to go to work for the Marines as a lawyer. He wants me to look into online PhD programs. Oh my goodness. Because I'm thinking I'm gonna go get my PhD eventually. And he wants me to do that so that I can move wherever he gets basically stationed at oh. as a Marine lawyer. Okay. I start applying to online PhD programs. Yeah, you're meeting his parents. You're having these big conversations. Yeah. It's all coming together. Totally. Um, two weeks later after we get back from his parents' house, he straight up ghosts me. What? We were supposed to And this meet. was before ghosting was even a thing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No. So this particular brand of ghosting was where we were supposed to meet at the singles ministry church service on a Wednesday night. Uh-huh. He just doesn't oh, Jen. show up. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I feel sick to my He stomach. doesn't show up. <laughs> I'm texting him. Oh my god. I'm gosh. like, are you okay? I think he's gotten into a car accident. And there's no signs before this. No signs before <gasps> this. None. And you're amazing with parents, so there wouldn't have been anything that happened on the trip. Look, this was in the fall again. I wanted to get his mother a hospitality gift. Of course you did. So How sweet. As we are walking through these little shops in the mountains of North Carolina in the leaves, I find out that she likes snowmen. I get her some snowman decorations, probably from Kirkland's, because that's what she do in 2007. If someone likes chickens, you get them a chicken. If someone likes snowmen, you buy them a snowman. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm great with parents. They love me. Yes. Okay. Shout out to my in-laws, who do love me. And he does not respond for like 24 hours. Oh my gosh. And you're panicked. I'm panicked. I'm texting him. Finally, he texts me back and says, did you check your email? 
I sent you an email about what's going on. This is 2007, you guys. I don't even have a phone that syncs up to my email. No, I'm you're not still checking. Snake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not checking my email every day. What? He literally broke up with me via email. He broke up with you via email and then texted you to check your email? Mm -hmm. He just assumed that I was like keeping an eye on my email oh. for that breakup. That's psychotic. We haven't... If you're listening out there, don't break up with someone over email or text message. Shame on you. Well, I think there's a lot of text message breakups going on right now. Gosh. It did take me a while to get over that one. When someone just cuts the cord like that, that's that's a straight to your Hotmail account. It was AOL. It's rough out there. Just, just like anything in life, dating has its ups and it has its downs. And so does everything else. And I think that's the thing that's so interesting that we can like draw a line through our lives. Everything you're going to do, because we're human, because we can't control everything, there's gonna be ups and downs. Enjoy the section of life you're in, because there's gonna be a new phase and it's gonna have its own problems. Yeah, we're gonna talk about marriage in our next episode. Yes. Super excited, yet another interview with my friend Jennifer, who is a marriage and family therapist. Oh, I'm excited about that. And then we're gonna talk about contentment in a few weeks. And I agree with you, Lauren, there's no perfect season of life. The no. only thing that we know about seasons is that they change. Absolutely. And learning to embrace whatever season you're in is incredibly important, mm -hmm. including the dating seasons. I can say after 37 years of life that while there were definite moments that I would like to have a redo on. <laughs> yeah. All of these relationships, all of the things that happened to me in my 20s have made me who I am today, and I'm thankful for them. Yeah, I would agree too. Um, except for the disease I got from eating the trash popcorn, which has never left me, so. <laughs> Gosh, I hope that rash goes away one day, girl. <laughs> Just kidding, guys. I'm <laughs> She's, she's fine. But beware. Beware of the refillable popcorn. <laughs> I, I think COVID started with trash popcorn, right? Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what they're saying now. Yeah, that's, mm -hmm. that's what all the experts are saying. Yeah. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening today. We hope that this has been, particularly for the 20-somethings who listen to this podcast, this has been encouraging, mm -hmm. enlightening, and funny. Yes. <laughs> there needs to be some laughter in all of this because it's hard. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening and being part of this podcast. We would talk to air, but we're so happy that there's people out there that we can have these conversations with. Because we truly believe that life is too short to stay silent. Thank you for raging with us today.